The Conversation is a podcast that I use for another class I teach called Technology and Instructional Design. Unlike this podcast, the one for digital literacies and 21st century skills, which is student-led, the conversation started with me being the host and I would talk to students in that class talking about the different topics we were reading. And for two semesters, we've had some great conversations. But things have really changed in education, and I think we can put this podcast to better use. Here's an episode where my co-host, Professor Bowler, and I talk to another professor, an Adelphi student who is herself a teacher and parent, and an 8th grade student, on how remote learning has impacted them as instructors, as parents, and as students. I hope you listen to it, and if you're interested, you can subscribe by going to the show notes. We hope to start releasing new episodes every week. We have plans to talk to teachers, students, professors, administrators, across the board, across the country. So I hope you tune in for those conversations. Welcome to The Conversation, a podcast about technology, instructional design, and the learning sciences. In this episode, Clara and I talked to a professor at Adelphi University, who is herself a parent, a student at Adelphi University, who is a parent as well as a teacher, and an eighth grader who is going through this transition like all of us. So before we get started, why don't you introduce yourself? Let's start with you, Ming. This is Ming. So I'm a system professor in TESOL and bilingual program at Adelphi. I work uh, with pre-service and in-service teachers in New York City and New York. Um, I am also a mother of two. I have two little ones in elementary schools. Okay, this is Paige. Um, I am currently a TESOL student at Adelphi. I am also a special education teacher in Long Beach School District. Um, I also am certified in English, so I was an English teacher there as well before I got my special education certification and now um, getting that certification in TESOL. I also have two children, although not both little. One is 16 and the other is almost six. So uh, we have a fun time doing homeschooling these days. Uh, I'm Diego. I'm an eighth grader at um, Brooklyn Collaborative School. And uh, yeah. Diego, how do you feel about missing school? Do you do you miss being in school? I know it's hard for my kids and it's hard for me too. I miss seeing my students. You know, it's hard to, you know, you can't have the same type of teaching or learning experience when, you know, you're online. How do you feel about it? I feel like not seeing my friends is definitely not very good. I prefer to be able to see them. And I also, right. I feel like I'm getting taught more by like my teachers. It's more personal when I'm in school. Right. But I definitely think that as for the content, I'm learning at least as much at from home. Like I'm actually getting at, as much information and like the class can move on a better schedule because there aren't people like um, interrupting the teacher and misbehaving, slowing things down. But it's also like less like social stuff, of course, and also less like the teachers actually like I'm teaching you and more just like you're learning, if that makes right. sense. I'm just curious to know how many of you are using Zoom or something like that to maintain synchronized teaching environment? I definitely am, but um, our, the class Zoom meetings, I think I have like one or even two every day, but there aren't, it's not like there's an entire class there. It's like maybe five kids, sometimes 10 in math. So it's not like a whole class. It's more just like I'm a check-in. I, for me, because I teach um, courses uh, to in-service teachers, so I actually try not to do synchronized teaching. A lot of them right now in the morning and in the afternoon, they have to do synchronized teaching to their students. So for me, I try to allow them with more flexibility. So I basically just put on some video clips for them to see at their own convenient time. But I do use Zoom to do some checking. And the conversation that takes place uh, during the Zoom meeting is actually not so much about academic right now. It's more about making sure that everybody um, have the support they have. Because a lot of teachers do tell me that they feel very, very stressed um, during this time. Many of their multilingual learners at home, they don't necessarily have enough electronic device to work on. They have siblings at home. Some of their parents don't really read English, so mm -hmm. they have trouble getting on the Google Classrooms. 
So they end up spending more time talking to these parents, working with their students. So now a lot of my students, they have told me that they don't have time to do my work, to do the homework that I give them. So I have to be a little bit more flexible and accommodating than before. It's a little bit difficult because with my school district, what they've determined is they've created a schedule for the departments, for the content area teachers. So I presently teach three integrated co-teaching classes of Global Nine, and then I have a self-contained Global Nine class, and then I teach resource room. So because they've put social studies at a specific time from 9.30 to 10.15 on Tuesdays and Thursdays is when we have our quote-unquote office hours where I we've been using using Google Meet. Well, it's been determined that it's better for me to meet with my self-contained kids since that's a class that I teach alone. And I, you know, I feel bad about that because I would like to have the opportunity to meet up with my ICT kids as well. And schedule-wise, I can't really do that because they're really trying to figure out a way where students don't have to choose between subjects. So that way, it's a little more streamlined. And what I found with my um, self-contained kids is that a lot of them do come on the meetings on Tuesdays and Thursdays, but it's really more about just kind of connecting with them as opposed to talking about content. I mean, they may have a couple questions about the assignments that I post for them on Google Classroom, but for the most part, it's really just, you know, saying, hi, how is everybody doing? How are you feeling? Trying to give them some kind of, I guess, in within, you know, the time period we are, some kind of feeling of normalcy within their lives that they know that every Tuesday and, thir and, and Thursday morning, Miss A is going to be online and we can chat. Um, it, it's, you know, it's hard. It's hard to weigh all of the, the help that they may need. When I'm in the classroom with them, I, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to explain, especially with students with special needs, how an assignment needs to be done or how much time we can take to complete an assignment. And also within my self-contained class, it's rather large anyway. There are 16 students in the class we, uh, you know, we received uh, and go ahead with from the state to have that extra person because there should technically only be 15, but six of them are um, English language learners, um, Spanish speaking at home. So that also adds another uh, kind of hurdle that I have to get over. Because again, when you're in the classroom and you can explain something to someone or we can, you know, I try to get answers from the students whose English is not as good, but when they're verbalizing, it's a lot easier than it is when I give them written work. I try to translate everything that I assign. Um, I don't speak Spanish, so I do have to, you know, make do with whatever translator I can find. Um, but, it, you know, it's hard. It's hard to teach any child over the internet, I think, but especially those who may have um, language uh, difficulties or, you know, special needs. Yeah, I've noticed uh, that there is a lot of synchronous learning happening, but for people who have been teaching online for a long time, the asynchronous part of online learning is the one that allows for doing learning on your own pace, and then the synchronous is usually used more for these check-ins. So I'm finding surprising that, and even I'm pleasantly surprised that I'm hearing this a lot because, for example, my son has three hours every day of synchronous learning and he's six. So I think that on one hand, I like that the teachers are connecting with him and, and teaching something. But on the other hand, it's a lot for him to process. So Ming, how is it going with your kids with their online learning? I'm curious. So um, we didn't, they didn't do the synchronized learning but it seems that a lot of parents feel like it's not enough just sending out lesson plan and then giving out schedule as to when the kids need to do what some parents still feel this is not enough so there is a strong push from the parents to ask for synchronized teaching from the uh, teacher so starting monday kids gonna do synchronized uh, learning, which I feel a little bit ambivalent about. What I like about what they have been doing is that we do have the flexibility. My kids, they are definitely not screen type of learner. When they look at the screen for too long, they lost their attention, they lost their focus. So 
over the past three weeks, what I have been doing is to move things around, just trying to um, put in some breaks in between. And even though we need to kind of take more time to finish the work, or sometimes even though I only give them half of the schoolwork, I still feel okay about it. But now for this coming week, when everything going to be synchronized, to be very honest, I feel a little bit nervous for my kids because I know that it's going to be a really big adjustment that they need to make. For my daughter who's in kindergarten, they'll post an assignment or assignments. Um, it's a Google Doc that they'll share and it's broken down into different departments. So there's, you know, there's a reading assignment and there's a, a math assignment, there's a writing assignment. And then usually one of the specials will post. So there'll be music or there'll be gym or whatever it is. And, uh, you know, I've spoken with her teacher and I really, he's a fantastic kindergarten teacher. And, you know, I said to him, listen, I do my best every day to get her to do some kind of reading, which she loves to read anyway. So she'll read for at least 20 minutes. I'll read a story to her or we'll do a story online. She has to write something, whether it's, you know, sentences using her sight words or they've been at, like there was one assignment where she had to write a persuasive letter where she wrote, she decided herself, she sees how I have my online classes with my students. Um, she asked her teacher if he could do an online class because she misses school so much. And then I'm trying not to put that much pressure on her. I can't expect a, you know, five, almost six year old to sit still and do hours and hours of learning with me. And I frankly don't know if I hate to say this, but have the patience to be able to do that either. Um, I'm lucky with my son. Uh, he first of all loves school. So he, this is like his worst nightmare to have to be, I think kind of like what Diego was saying, you know, he likes to go, he likes to see his friends. He likes to schmooze with his teachers and he's in a lot of advanced classes. They do have uh, meetings every now and then. Yesterday, his French teacher had her office hours. He was the only student who joined. Um, you know, he, he's been keeping up with all the AP news because he's got four AP exams to take this year, um, waiting to hear about the region's exams. Um, you know, but with him, I don't worry as much because, you know, by late morning, he's usually done with all of his assignments, but it's just, it's a different life. Uh, you know, I think one of the best parts of school is it's not all about the academics. It's the social emotional piece as well. It's being able to see your friends, being able to walk in the halls, being able to deal with different situations. And when you're stuck in your room, just doing work, even if you do have some kind of face-to-face -face time, it, it's not the same. And it's, you know, it's, it's, quite a lot of a change for any student of any age, including we as adults and teachers. It's, it's a different way of teaching and it all kind of came upon us. So suddenly I think to come up with new ways in which to engage our students to make sure that they actually do have some kind of accountability. That's a whole other issue is how different districts are dealing with, you know, it, you know students performing or not um, in this new era. As students, are you finding ways to connect with your peers without being able to be with them in person? Um, yes. Well, um, in different ways. Partly just like, um, when we have these Zoom meetings, especially, um, not Zoom, when we do um, Google Meet, because unlike Zoom, the Google Meet starts before the teacher gets there. So, like, I might show up early in the, and, like, talk to the other kids before the teacher actually arrives. It's almost like they're not in the room yet. And also, like, like um, some people were saying before, the Zoom meetings being more like check-ins than, like, um, classes. There is actually a lot of talking, especially because on Wednesdays I have like a, a meeting for advisory that's pretty much just talking. So, um, and outside of that, I don't know, I've texted my friends a bit, but I feel like actually not as much as when we were all going to school together. I'm not sure why. Do you use social media too to communicate with your, with your peers or is it more through the school? Media? I don't use social media. I never have used social media. My son was involved with a lot of clubs in school, so he um, he's a class president and he's in DECA and all these things, and he plays instruments and whatever. And um, so there was a lot more connection, I think, when he was actually physically in the building. But he does keep up with his friends, I, I would say, a good amount, um, you know, through either texting or when they're playing a game or something like that. And for my kids, I need to uh, set up virtual play day for them through mm -hmm. Skype, FaceTime, or Zoom. 
and uh, we have to coordinate the time with the other parents. And it's very kind of interesting to see how kids kind of talk to each other now. They have the control over the electronic device. I have found that a lot of time my kids would take the iPad walking around our house, try to show my room or their room yes. to others. And I have to kind of talk to them about the issue of privacy. Like you don't really kind of just take your iPad around and then show everything to your friends. So for their age, I, I still need to kind of uh, monitor a little bit in terms of what they talk about virtually and how they do with the camera. Yeah, I found that with my daughter as well, which is funny because she only talks to people who have been to our house and yet she still gives them a tour every time she's like FaceTiming with them as if they <laughs> haven't been here. I did download the, the Messenger Kids app because friends of mine who my daughter's friends with, you know, they're with their children. They got it. So I thought, all right, I'll get it. And I, I found that my daughter is slowly turning into a teenager. She'll like mm. take the iPad and want to go into the other room because her friend called. Anna called. I have to go now. I want to be able to have my kids engaged with something worthwhile all the time, but it's difficult and I'm tired and I, I, I'm more tired now than I was when I was going to school every day. And, yes. you know, it's, it's tough to, to keep all the balls in the air. Two days ago, I just read a post online saying that um, what we are doing right now is not regular online teaching or mm -hmm. learning or homeschooling is, is more like a crisis schooling. And I totally agree with that because yeah. we were, we, we didn't chose to do homeschooling after years of research and we make that decision. I think most of us were, were forced to, to do that. And uh, a lot of times when, when my kids got frustrated, I feel like I need to take some time to understand why they are feeling that that kind of anxiety and I have to acknowledge that because uh, me as an adult I am also frustrated I also feel feel very painful that I couldn't uh, find the time to connect with my colleague and I have to be locked down confined myself into a very kind of small space so I think once we recognize that we are not doing homeschooling and then we should not see ourselves doing homeschooling then it seems that at least i free myself a little bit i know that even if my kids meet some academic learning that is fine because mm -hmm, right. after all at this moment i think the priority is actually everybody's mental health not just my kids mental health but also adults mental health and then just thinking about um, a lot of my students who right now live in New York City, as you all know, New York City is right now the epic center of this pandemic. Some of them already told me that they lost their immediate families. Mm -hmm. um, they have families who are hospitalized right now. So I feel like for them to really kind of um, prioritize what is more important in their life, is so very important and I should fully support their decision. And for me, I also tell myself that one day at a time, especially we don't know when this will be ending and whether or not this will be a new norm for us, I really don't know. But I keep telling my kids that it's okay that if you don't finish the homework today or tomorrow, right. it's okay. Right. And uh, I, I hope I can be with you as much as I can, provide as much support as I can. But meanwhile, I really hope my kids will learn how to deal with their own emotions at this difficult time. My brother lives in China. Um, he teaches English over there. He um, married a Chinese woman two years ago and they came to visit the end of January. Um, and they were supposed to be here until February 7th. They're still here. They can't leave. And um, you know, and it's interesting to hear their perspective when they first came, because they came at the end of January when things just kind of started happening here. But they had been, you know, they went through Wuhan, I think it was two or three days before the city was closed down. 
And so there was also a bit of fear on our end, wondering, okay, are they okay? Are they healthy? You know, what's going on? They've come and visited and, and now they can't go back. And they both have to do, they're doing online teaching. They both teach English, um, you know, from here to China. So mm -hmm. that's another, you know, interesting perspective that I have here is not only am I teaching my American students, but to see my brother and my sister-in-law teaching mm -hmm. their young students in China from the United States and, you know, not really being able to get back over there. They've got, they do it at night for the morning. It's, it gets crazy. And I have a question for the three of you. So one thing that we are interested in is finding out what's working too. So what are some things that uh, you are doing, some uh, apps or technology that you are using that you feel, wow, this is something that is really working for me in the midst of all of this craziness. For example, for me, I have discovered Pear Deck. I had never used it and I tried it and it's so cool. I'm really loving using it. So what about you? I mean, so far I really have kept in this situation um, more, more just Google Classroom and Google Documents just because my students are familiar with it. So it's not something I necessarily have to explain. Um, some, you know, somehow I did, I asked for one of my assignments for my self-contained class for them to create an infographic about, um, about ancient Rome. And that was a little bit difficult for them to figure that out. I did have them create a meme just as a check-in. I thought, you know, that was kind of fun using um, Google drawings. They created a meme. Um, I, I've, in the past, I've used Edpuzzle, um, which is great for videos and having them just stop and answer questions along the way. Um, I think that's a, a good resource to use um, as well as, um, I don't know, it, I, you know, it's tough because, I, you know, we're so used to being in the classroom and, and even though we may use technology, all of our students in my district are given uh, Chromebooks to have. So we, we do, you know, integrate technology into the classroom. But, you know, it is harder when I can't control it in a way. So what I have found helpful is actually to take my kids away from technology a little bit. So they have to do a lot of reading on the screen. And sometimes uh, for my um, third grader, she also needs to do quite some typing. The teacher asked uh, the class to do Google Slides. But the thing is that I feel like at her age, nine years old, she doesn't need to spend that much time on keyboard. So a lot of times I actually ask her not to do her homework on the computer. I told her to grab a pen and pencil, do some writing, do some drawing on paper. So instead of using more apps, I'm actually trying to bring her back to her uh, routine in the past, just to make sure that she still feel cap uh, capable of doing things. Because I think the first two weeks, she feel a little bit incapable. She feel like, oh, I couldn't type. And uh, it took me so long to just come up with one slide. So nowadays, after checking in with her teacher, um, he's totally okay for her to submit her work just through um, like a paper and pencil traditional format. And I take a photo of it, send it out. So I think it's just kind of gonna work differently for different family. But in our case, when my kids are not really kind of good with the uh, technology, I try to boost up her confidence by bringing back those old routines. Well, I've even noticed that not uh, not with myself because again, my son is capable of do whatever you know he does what he's doing and he's very good with technology and with his with academics in general. So I don't have to worry about that. But talking to my you know mother peers about how you know the way in which students are learning, even after things like you know Common Core math, and you know we as adults we never learned that way, and now kids are almost learning in a more traditional way, I think, than, than they are even used to because of the fact that we, we have become our elementary students' educators in a way. And I think about parents that aren't in the classroom, generally speaking, but they do have to work from home and still educate their kids also from home and how hard that is for everyone because they don't know the strategies necessarily that the teachers were teaching. And I mean, I think I saw some kind of a, like a GIF or something somewhere that said, you know, something about, you know, kids learning math this way and now they're learning how to carry the one where they, you know, they didn't before. It's, it's just, it's a, it's, it's, it's a remarkable thing is that's happened and it's, it's, 
it's interesting to see that I think on the one hand, it's really bringing families much closer together because we really do spend much more time together than we did in the past. Um, but, you know, generationally, it's difficult because if you have family that, you know, grandparents or, or you know, family or friends that maybe you spend more time with, but everyone's learning in different ways and, and figuring out new ways. And it's just so funny to see how people are almost going back in time a little bit. People are finding ways to communicate more. They're finding ways to, I mean, people are looking for, there's no yeast in the stores because everybody's breaking bread. There's, you know, people are learning how to knit. All these things that I think weren't necessarily thought of as important educationally, it seems that they're almost coming back into fashion because of this. Mm. That is literally what I posted on my Instagram about my failed attempt at making bread. <laughs> <laughs> Because I, I don't have to up with I'm my son Misha. Out of yeast. Like I have to yeast. You wasted yeast failing to make bread, or did you just not have yeast at all? I had I had yeast, but it was way too old and um, <laughs> oh. it didn't work out. It was it looks like cake, which is fine. <laughs> and why didn't you just make cake instead of bread? That's the question, Diego. Because I wanted bread. <laughs> I wanted a sandwich. You can't make a sandwich with cake. And what about Diego? What's working for you in this, all of this? You mentioned that you feel you're learning more. So talk to us about that. What, how do you feel you're learning more? Um, I um, kind of feel like I'm learning more because like um, all the work um, gets to me like um, every day. Sometimes in social studies, like we'll have like um, a conversation like separate from the work that's still interesting, but like we're, we don't get stuff as done as fast. Or um, more often, in some of the classes, some of the kids, like, um, refuse to do the work or some, like, other kids from other classes just, like, um, bother the teacher during class. So it's less of the work gets done because of that. So while here, there's, like, no, like, interruptions, the work, the work is just given to you. And also, it's not just the work. Like, the, only the kids who actually want to learn are in the video calls, right? Or, well, like, there aren't, like, kids who are just there because they have to be and they bother the teachers and talk over the teachers, right? And it doesn't happen. Also, because the kids can mute themselves, they can, like, text their friends in the middle of class or something, and it doesn't disrupt the class. Just to build on what Diego said, I think a lot of students and faculty and parents maybe have an initial resistance to online teaching or, or in this case, remote uh, learning, where they feel like learning happens in a certain way. They envision it as face-to-face and in-person and synchronous, and they resist the idea of remote teaching or online teaching. But they also overlook the fact that there are also a lot of downsides to in-person, face-to-face learning, such as what Diego said about distractions. And um, sometimes it's just hard to concentrate where when you're taking two, three classes back to back, this is true for K-12 or even college and, and grad school, there is limit to how much attention you can pay consistently. And we assume that when someone's in a classroom for an hour and 40 minutes or, or 50 minutes, that all that time they're sitting in the classroom, that their focus and their attention is there. But that's not the case, right? Whereas in an, a remote teaching situation, presumably people come on and people are addressing the questions or prompts or discussions when they are able to do so. And ideally, when they are able to at least have the attention to do so. And also with, for example, um, English language learners, I noticed that sometimes they may initially, especially if they're not used to it, initially be resistant to online teaching. But then many of them come to appreciate that the fact that they can look at the prompt and take their time to think about it, they can take days even to, t- to think about it um, without being put on the spot. They are, um, or even just listen to what their peers have said and then kind of respond. That gives them the time they need to think about their responses without feeling being put on the spot. So I think there are kind of um, advantages to remote teaching that that is um, often um, not spoken about. You know, I think a lot of it has to do with maturity and age as well, and and that accountability piece. I mean, I I'm very lucky to work in a district where we're really looking at that social emotional piece, and and our our superintendent sends daily updates to families about how important it is for us to you know be with our families and make sure that that's more important than anything else and all that. But at the end of the day, I'm a high school teacher. 
and there's certain amount of curriculum that I have to get through. And a lot of, unfortunately, my students, and it could be because they're 14 year old kids and their parents aren't as involved in their lives as perhaps they should be. Um, they're not showing up. They're not doing the work. And, and, you know, while we want to hold them accountable, I think we also don't know how accountable we can hold them because of the situation, because do they have internet? Do they have access to um, working technology? I had one student who came into my Google Meet the other day. She is stuck in the Dominican Republic. And she she came to the meeting and she said, you know, I just wanted to let you know that I'm sorry I'm not doing the work, but I don't have any Wi-Fi and I'm in the Dominican Republic. And I, and I told her right away, I said, well, first of all, the first thing you need to get off the phone. Don't use your data to be on this meeting. And when you get back, we'll figure it out. And I think that that from what I understand and what I've been reading and seeing that, you know, principals and, and building administration and school administration districts in general are, are one, what are we going to do if this goes on for much longer? I mean, do we make it a pass fail? Do, I mean, at the, end, at the end of the day, we have to think about what is more important. I mean, obviously lives are more important and families staying whole and us taking care of each other as human beings at the end of the day is more important than anything a student is going to learn in a classroom. Mm -hmm. But we do expect them to do work. And so how do we make something engaging um, while keeping up the high academic standards and the rigor? And rightfully so, we're letting a lot more things go in the climate that we are now saying, well, we're not going to have as many assignments or we're, if you don't finish it all, that's okay. We'll figure it out. You know, it's hard because you can't ask questions as readily. But, you know, what is that going to do going forward? What are the expectations of the students going to be when we do return to school, whether it be this year or next year? Um, are they going to feel like, well, I didn't, you know, I got through ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade, whatever, eighth grade for Diego with, you know, kind of like doing the, the least amount of work that I had to as long as I got something done and then expect that to happen in the future. I don't, I don't know. There are many things in, in that happen in school that we feel are, are wrong, that we're not doing school right. And I think one of the things you're reminding is this big divide that we rely so much on the on the families that really support the students at home. Mm -hmm. I feel that a lot of what happens in school that supplement at home is, is crucial for the success of the students in the American schooling system in general. And, and I, I see this happening happening even more right now because if they don't have that structure at home right whatever it is uh you're just gonna sink even more because you, you are not accessing accessing the materials you are not mm -hmm. uh, for the amount of time that i have to spend with my son just asking them asking him just pay attention or do this i can imagine that all parents are doing this right now right they are are present right so um and for whatever reason there are many students that uh don't have that not because they're parents don't want to but there are so many barriers like you were saying that um that impede them to engage like this and i don't even think that it should be this way right so moving forward it's something for us to think about not to make that divide even um bigger school is so much more than a place for education these days i mean it really is where a lot of students be they students with special needs transgender or gay lesbian bi students who don't have that support at home where they go and get that social and emotional support and they have the community of acceptance in school and where they might get their meals or they might i mean their their um you know psychological support whatever it may be school is is so much bigger than a place of learning and and it breaks my heart when I see some of these kids missing, you know, from my classes or whatever, just because I want to make sure that they're okay. It's not even about, again, the academics, as important as they may be. It's really just, are you okay? Are you getting fed? Do you have someone to talk to? How can I help you to make you feel whole? It's less about make sure you know the content as it is, you know, are you getting what you need to feel safe? I mean, I totally agree with Paige that school is more than just academic learning. And I talked to my colleague who are in the field of educational psychology for some guidance. And my colleague keeps telling me that trying to make sure kids and um, kids kind of feel all right and feel kind of find a place where they can comfort themselves at home is very, very important. So he offers some suggestion as to set up a place at home, a cozy, quiet place for them to 
to kind of sit down on their own, calm down themselves if they feel frustrated. Other um, suggestions that my colleague has given, including trying to keep the schedules for the kids instead of uh, letting them go to bed really late and uh, get up really late. So trying to keep a schedule will also calm their mind and making sure that, okay, we still have a structure at home. We still need to do what we are supposed to do, even though a little bit differently. I think overall, um, what I feel about this kind of um, difficult time is that a lot of times we are still very privileged. We are so privileged that we still have our job. Mm -hmm. Our family members are still healthy. We don't have anybody hospitalized right now. I feel that sense of privilege. And just like what Paige said, thinking of those parents who are losing their job, who are going to be out of job, because so many people are going to be affected, especially mm -hmm. in New York. I just feel like this for this coming year, I will definitely spend more time making sure that my students are doing well. And I will be more than willing to make some exception or make accommodations because I, mm -hmm. I really think after this, life is going to be different. And then the way we learn is also going to be different because our life, in our life, we might have other more important matters that we need to pay attention to. And the very traditional idea of academic gain or not gain should not be viewed or evaluated um, in the same way. So I want to kind of prioritize my students' um, mental wellness uh, as we move forward. I found it helpful and important to give students a place to talk about what they're going through. After spring break, I added a slide on VoiceThread, which is how we primarily communicate, just asking how they are. And it was really helpful for me to hear from them, to know what they're going through. I know a lot of them know people who work in the medical field and who have family members who are on the front lines of this. And I think it gave me a, a new perspective and appreciation of what they're going through. And I think some of them also liked having the space to express what they were going through as well. And I thought that was a helpful exercise for us. Yeah, the video calls was like I'm actually talking to kids seems very helpful for everyone because it gives like the teachers, I feel, though I'm not a teacher, I don't know for sure, but like I'm a better idea of what the kids need than like a Google form can give them, like a survey. Mm-hmm. Right, to like actually talk to the kids, ask them what's working, what isn't working, see what the kids want to complain about, and then try to fix it, pretty much. Less than like, just like giving them work, and then like having them type in. Because some things are just hard to type. It's just hard to say it in like short sentences, like in a concise way. And it's just easier to like, you can only really say it when you're talking. Diego, about the video chats you mentioned, are they set up as optional office hours you can go to or are they required for all students? That's actually a pretty good question. I'm not completely sure. I think that they're technically optional. The teachers really want as many kids as possible to go to them, but technically they're optional. You can leave when you want. Just all the teachers really want you to go to as many as you can. But other than that, they're optional. Hmm. I was thinking of scheduling a time for just open office hours for students just to come by without making an appointment. I wasn't sure if students were going to come by. I know sometimes they usually just email me, but it might just be nice to have a space just for them to come by and talk about anything if they want. And um, it will be a nice way for me to get in touch with them and interact synchronously. And I was wondering, have any of you set up something like that before? When we first started before the district came up with like their schedule of plans, I told all of my students, all five of my classes and any student that wanted to join that, you know, every day from 1030 to 1130, I would be online. Anybody's free to come and do whatever. And the first few times I did it and then, you know, we had to change the schedule. It was, it was good. It was interesting to see who popped in and, and it wasn't, it was never about the classwork. It was just about checking in and saying, um, you know, I'm bored and I miss you. And I, you know, I miss the class and I wish that I could be in school and all of that, but just more like a venting session. And I think that it's important 
important for the students to see that that it's that we do care about them. I mean, it's just like I was saying earlier that you know that it's not it's not that we're going to be on them so much about get this work done because it's more important because we know that 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 it, it, that their sanity and our sanity is more important than that anyway. You know, it's hard, I think, also for, especially for teenagers, to really talk about how they're feeling in such an open forum like that. Um, I, I have also alerted my students at any time if they would like to meet with me individually, but online so that we can see each other, for them to send me an email and we can work something out. Because, you know, I, I think that this age, you know, is what I teach, having those teenagers, it's hard to, you know, in front of your friends to, to say I'm scared or to say that, you know, I'm not sure exactly what to do in this assignment or whatever it is. But, you know, having teachers be open to changing their schedules a little bit and saying, you know, hey, shoot me an email and we can, you know, have a one-on-one -on -one Google Meet or something if you just want to talk to me or just want to say hi or just want to, you know, cry about something. As scary as it is for us as adults, kids are so much more vulnerable than we are. And if we can somehow be their rock in that situation, even if we don't necessarily know the answer, we're just there as that support because a lot of times we do see these children, you know, during the day more than their parents do. And, you know, we do get those connections to them and they, they rely on those connections. Once I went to a Zoom call for the advanced math, no one else was there. So like um and it was very um helpful and it was like nice and it felt more like more like a social interaction than anything I'd done like all week. So I think that your idea about the one on one meeting pretty good. Also I think I might have to go now. I have a Zoom call in ten minutes. So <laughs> yeah, goodbye. All right. Well, thank, thank you, you so for much, coming. Diego. Yeah, it was amazing. You're welcome. Thanks. I really wanted to say something about what Diego said that really struck with me right now. Then he said it felt more of a, like <laughs> a social interaction than anything that I did the whole week. Mm -hmm. So I thought it was pretty special to hear that because it, it goes back to what you were saying, Paige, about the content and making sure that the students are all right. Um, so that's pretty important, right? To check in with them and, and, and that they know that you, that, you, that you care about them. We know that about teaching. I mean, the best teachers are the ones you don't remember, you know, that a teacher taught you something necessarily that you they remember that relationship that they had with you. And nine times out of 10, a student is so much more apt to do well in a class with a teacher who they feel like they have a connection with or that they listen to. And that, I mean, that's in all those teaching classes, they tell you, you know, stand at the door and greet the students, you know, try and go to football games and ask the kids how about their interests, you know, that but that really is, you know, that human connection is so much more important than anything else. And I think you do find more success academically with your students if you do kind of go that like one extra step and ask them, you know, how their game was yesterday or, you know, whatever the case may be that, that they're more willing to put in the extra effort if they think that you almost as if you're going to be proud of them. I was wondering whether once all this is over, if people will have a new respect for teachers and other essential workers who tend not to be thought of as essential until this has happened. Um, I'm hoping this will bring about a kind of change in understanding and respect for these people, because now people have had direct understanding of what these people really do and how hard their work is. I hear some people saying that the teachers are working less right now, and uh, I, and that's a misunderstanding because um, I, I I guess the feeling that you are seeing each other for that period of time during a Zoom meeting or a Google chat uh, that gives off the impression that you're only doing that right, and the behind the scenes that you're all mentioning is not visible. <laughs> but there's so much going on right now, so I I I, I hope that we we help people understand of how much is going on behind the scenes. Yeah, some so, yeah. parents um, were joking that um, they, they feel teachers, number one, should be paid pay more because <laughs> now they realize how difficult it is to manage their two, three kids. <laughs> and imagine that teacher oftentimes have to ma manage more than 15 or 20, right? So I think uh, uh, I really kind of hope that we will definitely appreciate more of those work um, by the teacher and by those essential workers because I think in the past uh, here we tend to just oftentimes have our hands off yeah I totally possible, agree with you because we all 
even more than that, I hope that we start learning to respect each other more as human beings. You know, that yes. I hope that this experience has everyone realize how important it is to have connections with people and to be nicer to people and just yes. to have respect for others. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, yes. we're not allowed to interact and, and, and just in general, I mean, I just hope it makes us a nicer race of people. Mm-hmm. I kept uh, resending and retweeting something that I saw online that someone said, I feel like the earth has sent everybody to their room to think more about what they do. (laughs) I loved that quote. And that's exactly how I'm thinking that it's making us really reflect about so many things. And um, yeah, becoming better human beings is definitely one of them. I don't know if this has happened to any of you, but in a strange way, people who I haven't heard from for ages are suddenly contacting me and reaching out and vice versa, liking things I post on social media. And it's a kind of a paradoxical situation where even though we are socially isolated, we are also reaffirming our relationships and, and connections. Definitely for me. Yeah, sorry, because I, I live in New York, close to New York, right? So now it's um, the news. Um, my friends from uh, elementary school who haven't in touch with me for more than 25 years, she texted me, just want to make sure that I'm doing okay. Because mm-hmm. from the news, she learned that, yeah, we are kind of doing really bad here. And I have several other friends who did the same thing. And it's just kind of warm my heart. So I decide to do the same. I reach out to my friends living in Boston and California, who I would not really reach out uh, if this is not the time that kind of we are being through this. So I absolutely experienced the same thing. And I also encourage my kids to think the same. Who do you want to reach out to show right. your yeah, friendship to show that you care about them. So um, just as of uh, last night, we sat together and then drew a card for someone we know who is suffering. And we just feel like this is the least that we can do right now is just to show our care to others. And I have seen a lot of people, even on, you know, on, on like mom's pages and things like that, that, you know, or local pages, like, Hey, is anybody going shopping? If you do, you know, it's hard for me to leave the house and never, of course, you know, what do you need? And, and a lot of, you know, even though we can't have that personal contact, like I'll leave your groceries at the door or, you know, how can I help you? Maybe there's an older person we need to check on or, you know, I, it's, it is interesting. There was someone who I wasn't, I wasn't even particularly friends with in high school, but, you know, we're friends on Facebook and she had posted that her, her parents who still live in the town that I live in, um, were, one of them was sick. And I, you know, just not because of anything other than, Hey, I'm here. I know that she lives down South. You know, if there's anything I can do, please let me know because I'm here. And that's, you know, the human condition. And we should try to help each other out, like I was saying before. But it's so important um, to do that. And it's funny, Ming, just like, you know, you just you get in touch with people just to make sure that everybody's okay. Whereas maybe it's somebody you hadn't spoken with for 20 years. It's interesting to circle back to technology and, and thinking of the role technology is playing uh, in this pandemic that it's really, uh, we are really communicating in spite of being so isolated. Um, it can come on, uh, how do you say that? Uh, it's kind of cliche to say this, but it's true. It's allowing for more communication. I was also wondering what this would have been like if we had to do the social isolation 20 years ago when there were a lot fewer applications for collaboration and communication and more people were in dial-up, how it would have worked out in a way we are lucky to have all these tools now and many of these tools are free for us to use and to allow us to continue working. And we are lucky to have a job that allows us to continue working, of course, but allow us to continue staying in touch with people and seeing their faces and all that. And uh, it's, it's hard to imagine what it would be like if it happened like 10, 20 years ago. No, that's a great point. But then again, I guess you would have done whatever you would have been used to. You know, now we can binge watch shows if we can find five minutes to ourselves. But, you know, maybe then a lot more people would be reading or, or maybe people would be writing letters. But like, it's, it is, it's, it's interesting to think what time, you know, what happened during the 1918 flu? What did people do? You know, it, it is, you know, mm-hmm. how do you keep in touch with people by staying far away? In a way, this is really unique in that the whole world is going through this. My family in Asia are doing social distancing. So it is 
kind of a shared experience. It's not unique to a specific region. And hopefully this shared experience brings us closer together in some way. Yes, no, I agree with you. <laughs> hopefully it does. I mean, I, well, I guess because it's part of like every, the whole entire human condition. It's not just, like you were saying, it's not just here or in France or in China or anywhere in particular. It's, it, I mean, this is, I would think the most remarkable thing to ever happen in our lifetime. And, you know, I was, I worked in New York City during 9-11 and I was four, you know, blocks away from the Twin Towers. I mean, but that was an isolated incident within the United States. This is something that every person throughout the entire world can share share mm -hmm. and you know to see those pictures or the videos of the people in Italy who are singing from their balconies or the people in New York City who are clapping every night at seven o'clock for the you know for the emergency workers I mean that I, I hope that we can still continue to do things like that even after this is over if this is going to be a new norm when I'm talking about this not necessarily being like a being locked down at home but more like um um, using technology to facilitate our daily life. But at the same time, we also have um, a lot of people who are losing their jobs, who already lost their job, and thinking about how technology might make it better or worse is something that my kids and I have been talking about. So, so for example, nowadays, a lot of people do not go out to uh, do shopping. They do a lot of online shopping instead. And then we talk about how this might make more people lost, uh, lose their job. So we talk about all this all the time. But I think uh, even though I'm not going to have any answer to it, uh, I try to um, talk to my kids in a way that we all know that technology cannot just all of a sudden control our life and replace those human beings. We do need that very special connection. So in any ways, as a teacher, as a parent, um, as a teacher educator, I think what I'm going to do moving forward is to really highlight that piece in my, in my writing or in my teaching that, uh, yes, we have technology. It's very nice. It's kind of facilitate um, our life in many ways. Um, I still hope that everybody can really turn back to their own heart, to their self and to people around them and do something that would make this place a better place. I also try to be very optimistic and try to kind of end this with a high note. But just to be very honest, I think uh, a lot of us still have to grapple with those uh, uncertainty. And I really appreciate that we have this opportunity to, uh, to connect with each other. I really, really appreciate that. I think it, what you were saying is making me think that if we leave this with a more clear understanding of the functions of um, the, what really matters, right? I think that uh, when we have everything, uh, it's easy to... Um, to blur these lines, for example, what do you use technology for? What do you what do you use what what do you do with human connection? But with this, we really we really have a clear and brighter understanding of the actual role of human connection and how technology can help and support that, but also can hinder that sometimes, um, especially in education. So I think that gives gives me uh, this conversation gives me a heightened understanding of these different roles. Okay, well, thank you, all of you, for taking the time to talk and talk to us about this. Um, I, th I really thought it was really nice to, to be able to listen to what you all have to say. Thank you. Yes, thank you for us. You have a wonderful week. Have a great, great, great weekend. Yeah. yeah.